Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Everybody, we are back here at the Sporting Edge with Winston Roz after conference championship weekend. We are a solid weekend, a couple of days away from the Super Bowl, so we're not going to cover too much of it this week because uh, we'll get it to you next week on an all-Super Bowl Sporting Edge. We do have the conference championship games to go over, a little MLB talk because we had the Hall of Fame announcements, and then obviously Roz has to come at you with some college basketball, which he's not been winning recently. He was on a hot streak, and now he's as cold as winter in Chicago. But on the line, we've got which Witt is ready very to cold play right devil's now. advocate. What? I said which is very cold right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. Right. I saw the thermometers. I've seen the reports of the snow. I'm a mere three weeks away from coming home, and I'm going to need that to change ASAP in order for me to be comfortable while I'm home. But yeah. which? Let's give way. Let's give the folks a little. For me here. I'm going to give the folks a little weather update there for all of you people enjoying nice weather out in the U.S. Um, here in Chicago, we're struggling a bit. 14 degrees right now feels like negative two. Um, we're looking at single-digit temperatures for the next about seven days. So. If you're planning a vacation up to the Windy City, I would I would say take a pass for about the next month because it's pretty brutal out right now. Um, but that's your weather update here at the Sporting Edge. And, Roz, you mentioned I was going to play a little devil's advocate here because I am sick and tired of hearing people complain about the end of the Saints game. <clears throat> and I'm going to put it out there first. Was it a horrible call? Absolutely. It was one of the most obvious pass interference calls I've seen, um, and I think a lot of people felt that way. So the fact that they missed the penalty, it was atrocious. It was terrible. But on the other side of things here, anybody who watched that game, I feel like the Saints did not deserve. They did not play well enough to win that game. And Sean Payton, tisk tisk. I'm putting a lot of this on Sean Payton. I'm putting some of it on Drew Brees for throwing that pick partly in overtime. But the Saints did not play well in this game. And after going up 13 nothing in the, four, the first quarter, the fact that they weren't able to put their foot on the gas pedal and shut out L.A. and just march on to the Super Bowl, I thought was disgusting. It was terrible. And they always say, you make enough mistakes, you let a good team stay in the game, and things like this happen. 
you have a 57-yard field goal hitting overtime, and the whole city of New Orleans has no idea what happened to them. But I'm tired of hearing people complain and the Saints complain about the blown call. You know what? So what? Sean Payton coached that last drive like a piece of shit. Horrible clock management, didn't take any time off the clock, and left himself in that position. And they were still up by three points with a minute 40 left. Nobody said that they had to let the Rams march down the field and kick a field goal, and nobody said that they had to throw a pick in overtime and let Greg DeLay get a 57-yarder. So I think the Saints, while it was a horrible call and probably cost them a trip to the Super Bowl, I think they need to take a good long look in the mirror because they played like crap in this game, I thought, especially for being up that much in the first quarter. The fact that they weren't able to shut the door, um, this was the kind of effort I envisioned really last week when I was talking about the Saints in the playoffs, I was worried about this kind of effort from a team that has a lot of pieces. They have Drew Brees. They've get, they've had a great defense, the best run defense in the league. But I worried about this kind of, I don't want to say meltdown, but just overall not a great effort by this Saints team after the first quarter. And on the other side, congrats to the L.A. Rams because um, they fought. They stayed in the game. They didn't play very well, but they were never out of it. They kept fighting, and you know they got a lucky, lucky call, lucky no call, we'll say. And then Greg Zerline, in my mind, is slowly going to become the next Adam Vinatieri over the next decade of NFL football. Maybe a little too early, maybe a little overreaction here, but just ice cold on the 48 yarder and the 57 yarder in overtime. So all the people bitching about the Saints, I'm tired of hearing it. It's over. It's done. They did not deserve to win that game. And that's I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but I don't know if you agree with me wow. or not. <laughs> I think we don't do mail, but if you if there were thank you notes coming your way, which it would be coming from Rusty Baines, Bruce Stritsky, Bill Vinovich, Tom Hill, Gary Cavalito, Todd Prukup, and Pat Turner, all the referees of that game. I understand <laughs> that they didn't that they didn't need to let them drive with a minute 48 to tie the game. I understand that they got the ball in overtime and had the opportunity to win it on the first drive. They won the coin toss. The Patriots made it look easy. They did it to the Chiefs. But neither of those situations would have occurred if that call was made correctly. You're right. That was one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen in my life. I'm not taking away your point that the Saints let them back into this. I mean, you start with a 13-0 lead. You saw the Eagles do it the week before with the Saints. They started up 14-0. The NFL has gotten to be soft in my opinion. And I understand the rule changes, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not talking literally in terms of hits. I'm talking about coaching. I'm talking about um, endurance through the course of the game. Because I see teams get these leads and then they are gone. The dwindling leads is something that has just plagued the league this year. And teams that had been up and should have put away games have been unable to do so. Patriots, a little bit of the same this week, but their team in Bill Belichick that has always stepped on the neck and crushed it. They don't let you back in. They're going to put up as many points as they want to put up. I don't really need there to be fluffing. And I think the NFL does a lot of fluffing, the National Fluffing League. And they feel bad by putting up too many points. You're careful about being a bad sport. Win the game. I don't care if you smash a team 63 nothing and then have the ball with a minute left to go and do a fake knee for a touchdown. I don't care. Win the game, move on. And that's my issue with the Saints. But they did absolutely. There was highway robbery committed when that call was not made. Yeah. And the Saints should be in the Super Bowl. They should be. And 
I guess I'm just I'm a little torn because I I agree. Like if somebody says, "Well, you're you're an idiot if you don't think they should be in the Super Bowl," I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, and I'm not saying you're saying that. Right. I think I, and I'm not saying you're I'm saying that. I'm not saying that. Playing devil's advocate, and I'm, I'm not really, I'm not even really playing devil's advocate. In my mind, the Saints had every opportunity to win that game multiple times before that pass interference call, and the fact the game relied and seemed like people were saying it ended on that. It's like, well, no, it didn't. First of all, they were they were still up by three with a minute forty left. They let the Rams tie the game, and they still had the ball in overtime. Um, and Drew Brees threw a pick. So even with that play, there were still two opportunities to win that game. But I'm looking at the game as a whole, and the Saints, to me, had so many opportunities to win that game, and they really just did not look like a championship team, and they let the Rams hang around. So just the fact that it ended like this and there was a huge uproar and people are screaming at the NFL and there's petitions and lawyers suing, you know, doing whatever, like, my my view as a fan, and I, I didn't even bet on the game, so I had no, I had zero rooting interest. Um, besides that, I just wanted to see a good football game. And what I saw from the Saints was that after they just weren't ready to play and they weren't ready to win that game, and this fluke, miraculous play happened, and they find themselves out of a Super Bowl appearance. And I don't feel bad for one second because you know the entire portion of that game, like I said, besides the first quarter. I, they, just did, they just didn't play very well, and I don't feel bad that they got left out because um, they didn't show me a championship effort. And I feel I feel like I'm in Remember the Titans. You want, you, you want a championship? Give me a championship this. effort. But we're going to discuss right. more on this after the game. Excuse me, after the break. Uh, we got a lot more football talk coming up. And Game's we'll over, Witch. We'll be back after the break, everybody. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are wrapping up the Rams and Saints. I just wanted to say, as we gave both our stances, and it was kind of playing on both sides, Rams are in the Super Bowl regardless of what we say or any of the lawsuits that go on. But like you had finished off in the last segment, I honestly, God, don't feel bad for the Saints, and that's really cold. It is a horrible thing to have seen happen and then be robbed like they were. But being a Packers fan, which is I allude to every week, and you seeing what happened this year with Cody Parkey, like, Playoff games have ended in the most ridiculous fashions over the last decade that I'm not even, I'm like numb to it at this point. And the Saints should be too after last year's Stephon Diggs play. It's just ridiculous how these playoff games come to an end. And that's part of the sport. That's part of the entertainment. And the no call, be it, like, I understand that everybody in the NOLA is probably still fuming, but I've seen some of the most unbelievable losses in team history and NFL history when it comes to the Packers. And I know that you have recently as well with the Bears. I just think it's a normal thing in the NFL to just have your heart ripped out and stomped on. So I am numb. I might be a little cold in that I don't really care how the Saints are feeling right now. Uh, they should have put it away. They were absolutely robbed. They were kind of my two stances. Um, but I'm a little over it. I'm excited. The Rams are going to be representing L.A., where I'm from right now, in the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm kind of ready to talk about what occurred in the other game if you are. I am too, but how about let's get a little segue here. I have a couple couple concepts I want to talk about before we break down this other game. Um, I'm just looking at winners and losers of this past weekend. A major loser for me, Roz, is just overtime in the NFL. And I know we're going to break down the Pats major game. Major loser. But I'm, I'm just sick and tired of 
just the fact that like, in the Patriots game, like the Patriots, their coin flip skills, they dominated in overtime. But is it is it time that we we changed up the way that the NFL does their overtime? I know they changed it with not the first score, but if they score a touchdown on your first drive, then the game's over. Field goal is not, but I don't know, man. I mean, should we go to the college overtime? I mean, the fact that I didn't get to see Patrick Mahomes get the ball in overtime, I think, is is almost a crime against humanity. It's a crime against football. Um, you know, more power to Tom Brady. Completely agree. But I think it's I think it's time for a change, and I don't think it'd be that hard to implement. But the current overtime well, in the NFL really is it's not good. It's funny that you brought it up because the NFL won in terms of the Saints-Rams game, whereas the Saints didn't score on their first drive, so they did get their chance. I'm using air quotes. And then the Rams just answered by winning the game. And then they lost dramatically the way the Patriots did it, winning the toss, driving down, being unstoppable and scoring right away. And honestly, I'm led to believe that if it were college style, that would have been the longest NFL game of all time. Because from the fourth quarter on, it didn't look like either of those quarterbacks were going to be stopped from scoring. And I would have loved every second of it. Yes, I bet the Patriots minus three. So I was happy that they came away with the win. Although emotionally not so happy. I'm a little over the Patriots making it every single year. And I was hoping Pat Mahomes could have pulled the upset somehow. Actually, I had them at plus three. So I had that wrong. I could have I could have won my bet as well as had the Chiefs won. Um, it, it's amazing. I'm totally on the side that overtime needs to be both teams get a opportunity, regardless of what happens, regardless of a score being a safety field goal or touchdown. Um, right. But the NFL, the NFL is stingy and has been like bouncing around different ideas, has been dodging the main issue here, and I just don't see it changing anytime soon, and unless they really do take into consideration what occurred in the AFC Championship game. Right, and I even thought overtime during the regular season had me upset a lot. You know, first of all, with the oh two ties, God. all the ties, and like the ten, the ten minute. Like I think they actually had it at fifteen minutes in these two games, um, which is weird. They I kind of noticed it was that full quarter, full quarter. But you know, in the regular season too, the ten minutes, like some of the games came down and like you know we're looking at the clock too, and it's like I don't think overtime. Like that's what I love about college. It's just like we're just gonna go, we're gonna trade blows until either somebody can't hit or um you know we're just gonna we're gonna score and that's it or pick the ball up but in the nfl overtime i think there needs to be a change because i think it would make the game better um but my next my next little segue here as much as we ragged on kickers this year Roz, and as brutal as cody parkey was at the end of that bears playoff game i'm gonna have to give a win for kickers on conference championship weekend because between the two games oh absolutely kickers went nine for nine on field goals 12 for 12 on extra points we had harrison butker ice cold forcing ot in the pats game with 10 seconds left on the clock you had greg zerline drilling the fourth quarter at the end of the game and the overtime field goal kickers had a great great weekend and it's always kind of a feel-good story because you know as as any other position player, when you fail, you always have a lot more opportunity. You know, if you throw a, throw an interception as a quarterback, you fumble, um, you drop a pass, you're right back the next player, the next drive, and you have a chance to make up for it. But kickers, I mean, I feel like we're very focused on failure because it's kind of it's kind of almost assumed that's like, well, you're going to make this kick because there's a reason we're lining up. If not, we're going to punt. Um, so we do focus a lot on failure with the kicking, but the kicking was ice cold this weekend, and it was fun to watch. Um, 
because some you feel sometimes you feel bad for kickers when they really screw up because they, obviously they don't try to miss, but everything is riding on their particular kick. And you know, Greg Zerline, Butker, um, you know, Gaskowski was great, and then um, Will, Lutz Will Lutz even was putting it through that. Will Lutz did great as well. So winner kickers this weekend. Um, it was fun to watch. Brought a lot of high intensity and a lot of drama to the game, and they performed. They came through. It was fun to see in a year that was, let's just say, not the greatest for the kicking population in the NFL. Right. Um, but let's get into this game because okay. Fair just, enough. Like Fair there enough. Was a contra- just like there was a controversial ending to the Saints-Rams, there is quietly a controversial end to the Patriots-Chiefs game with the Chris Hogan catch that might not have been a catch, the roughing the passer that shouldn't have been a roughing the passer, and then D4 being in the neutral zone, eliminating the game-winning interception against the Patriots. It was a crazy finish, and both quarterbacks showed out at the end. I know Tom Brady's stats don't really show that they showed out as they ran in the final two touchdowns in the fourth quarter in overtime with Rex Burkhead and Sony Michelle. But Tom and Pat Mahomes were moving that ball like crazy down the stretch. And you got the game you were waiting for all three quarters before that. I mean, 24-14 to 14 was the fourth quarter score in Kansas City's favor. There was 44 points scored in the fourth quarter in overtime. I mean, that is absolutely outrageous. Oh, my God. You know, 17-7 at the end of the third quarter, and you're just like, eh, you know. Um, I had a weird feeling because the Patriots, they, I kind of felt the same way about them as I did about the Saints. Like, they were up 14 nothing. But it just seemed like they could have been up twenty-eight nothing, and just didn't come through. And then seventeen-seven, I was like, all right, you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes will lead him back. And then eyes are just glued to the TV. Touchdowns back and forth. Um, you know, we had four, we had four scores under four minutes in the game. We went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Then Harrison Bucker field goal to tie it. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, and I think besides Tom Brady, my second MVP for that game had to be Tony Romo. I mean, that was the most oh, fun absolutely. I have ever had listening to a football game because not only Tony, Tony Romo being an ex-quarterback knows a lot more about the game than your average announcer, um, but if you watch that last drive with the Patriots, um, him calling out those third down plays to Edelman and to Gronk and just kind of taking the normal layperson in the audience, taking him through the thought process of you know what he saw on the field, it was it was unbelievable. I felt like I felt like a little ten-year-old kid because it just got me so excited. When four, probably four times on that drive, he correctly called out what was going to happen, and the Patriots just they executed. Um, it wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything. You know, there wasn't any trick plays. It was just Tony Romo saw what was happening, diagnosed the play. Tom Brady came through to Edelman, came through to Gronk, and it was it was really unbelievable. Tony Romo, I thought he was an MVP of that game. He was great, and the, the Chiefs probably would have loved to have been hearing him live because they would have been able to know it was coming their way. The only thing that worries me about this is that Tony Romo is so good at what he's doing right now that I'm surprised he's not getting calls to be coached, um, and that maybe one day he will be a head coach in the NFL. But honestly, my MVP is Damian Williams on the Chiefs as well as Tony Michelle and Julian Edelman. I mean – those those players stepped up. Damian Williams three touchdowns. Pat Mahomes had three touchdowns himself as well. Um, it was an insane offensive out onslaught from the Kansas City Chiefs down the stretch. But here's a fun fact that I don't think people really realize. Hey, wait a minute, we're gonna Total hold that. We're gonna hold that fun we fact break. after the break because uh, this is the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss a show, you know where to find us: LibertyTalk.fm. 
AMFM247.com. We'll be back to break down more of the Pats versus Chiefs. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to the thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up, what's up? I'm back with the fun facts. A lot has been made that the Chiefs looked like the better team the entire way. They were the more talented team the entire way. But check out this statistic that I think says otherwise. Total yards in the game, absolutely mind-blowing. The New England Patriots had over 500 yards with 524 yards, while the Chiefs had under 300 total yards at 290. And I understand, A, scoring is what determines the outcome, but the Patriots were just eating up yards this game. And I think that's a testament to Tom Brady. I understand he has the two interceptions and probably should have had the third one. But Tom Brady moves the ball. Bill Belichick has the game plan and the scheme. And Sony Michelle is arguably making his case to being the first three-down running back for the New England Patriots since Corey Dillon, which I know is a name wow. we brought up earlier in the year because of wit. Um, Sony Michelle, definitely going to be a guy to watch out for years to come if Tom Brady is, in fact, going to play for the next decade again. <laughs> Yeah, man, Sony Michelle, um, he has been awesome. You know, you look at, you know, the last two games, 29 carries for 113 against the Chiefs, 24 carries for 129 against the Chargers. He's got five touchdowns in the past two games, and you make a great point at the three down back. I don't know if that's going to happen with James White back there too because he's another guy who just fits into that Patriot system um, like no other. But... Sony Michelle and Damian Williams in the fourth quarter, unbelievable. And then that Rex Burkhead touchdown, um, you know, I thought was going to seal it, but Pat Mahomes drove down the field and forced overtime with that Harrison Butker field goal. But yeah, Roz, you look at the numbers, and then you didn't even bring up time of possession was 44 to 21 um, in favor of the Patriots. They had twice as many first downs. And I think the funny part, they also had two turnovers. The Kansas City Chiefs had zero. Um, so, you know, the fact that they didn't win this game by more, looking at those numbers is a little bit surprising, but I think that's where you see the the electricity of Patrick Mahomes and how, you know, kind of like a Brett Favre-esque type of player is able to bring his team back uh, when it seems like all the cards are stacked against him. Um, but overall, I was very happy with the effort by both teams in this game. I thought it was an awesome game to watch. The fourth quarter excitement was unbelievable, and I was really happy to see um, I was really happy to see Gronk have a good game because, you know, he, he's had some struggles this year. You know, let's be honest, not his greatest year. Injuries, usage, it, it was a very disappointing year for Gronk fantasy owners, and I'm looking I'm looking right in the mirror because I made a big trade for him in two leagues. 
Um, and, and it really didn't work out for me. But six catches for 79 yards in this one, and they all seemed to come at very big times. Was targeted 11 times. And then Julian Edelman. I mean, what better case can you make that big money receivers are worthless than a guy like Julian, Julian Edelman? Who all he does is make big plays every week at the most crunch time points in the game, if that's even a saying. Julian Edelman, I mean, he's another MVP of the game for me. I mean, some of those catches he made. And then Chris Hogan, you look at him, signed a contract three years ago. All he's done is gone to three straight Super Bowls. I mean, blueprint for winning in the NFL, the Patriots have shown that it's not the dollar signs. It's the system. It's not the Julio Jones or the Odell It's the coach, it's the quarterback, and it's the system. Because, I mean, every year in and year out, they just bring five, guys. six, the last Super Bowls, right? It's unbelievable. But like we said, we're not going to get too much into the Super Bowl. I'm again numb to being sad for teams not making it, but especially numb to the Chiefs not making it because I was reminded that Pat Mahomes is 22 years old and he already has 50 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards in his first season. I think Mahomes is just going to be fine in this NFL landscape, and I think there will be Super Bowls to come for him. But let's talk about. Major League Baseball, since I know that you've can been we, can I get a little, waiting for a long, long time. Can I get a little segue? I also I want to give a shout-out to Tom Brady. Wow, you, I, I you never, love the segues. I love the segues. I've never, We're going on a segue tour in this episode. We are. A segue tour, strap in, put your helmet on. <laughs> um, I've never followed Tom Brady too much off the field. Like I didn't see the, the Tom versus time thing. I've, I've always liked him. But if you saw videos of him in the locker room, after that AFC championship game, I think it really gives you an appreciation of not only how he might be the greatest player in the history of the NFL, but how great of a teammate and how great of a guy he is and how respected and beloved he is by all of his teammates. I mean, because being, being somebody who grew up playing team sports, there's like arguably nothing better than celebrating, you know, victory of any kind uh, with your teammates because you work hard. You do a lot of things, and then to finally see it all come to fruition is special, and especially at that big of a stage. But if you saw Tom Brady dapping it up with like almost everybody in the locker room after that game, um, just pure emotion, a lot of F-bombs. I loved it. I loved the scene. It, it just shows you how great of a guy and how great of a leader that guy is. Um, and that, that was fun for me to watch, all those clips in the locker room. He was just every, – I feel like every guy who walked in the locker room, he's giving him a hug. Tell him how great of a game he played, and like I think there, I think there's a reason not only this guy's talent, but there's a reason why this team has been so successful. They get a great leader, a great quarterback, um, Tom Brady. Uh, not enough I can say about him in one episode. Right, and it's just through and through, year after year, and the old man is still a young kid at heart, and loves to win, and all he does is win, win, win. Um, but hopefully your segue has led us into your Major League Baseball talk because when you're a great teammate and you belong on some of the greatest teams of all time, it comes with championships, other accolades, and sometimes a Hall of Fame finish. And that is what's going on in Major League Baseball as we have a ton of Hall of Fame stuff to talk about. And we have our first ever unanimous voted in player, which was just probably the wrong phrasing, but Mariano Rivera has unanimously made it to the Hall of Fame. And I don't think there is someone more deserving than he is for that honor. Yeah, I agree with you, Roz. And this this was another video. Um, every year when you see the Hall of Fame, you know, calls, because usually somebody from the family recorded, they know when the guy is calling. 
so you see the video of Mariano getting getting a call from you know the, from the Hall of Fame, um, and you you know that they know what's going on, but to see the look on their faces, like you think about being professional sports player, you know, besides winning a championship, there's really no greater honor, I would think, than getting voted into the Hall of Fame, because you just think about you t- you take your whole career, all the moments, and you compare it against the greatest players, you know in that league throughout the history of the league and, and being recognized as one of the top guys by people who watch the sport day in and day out is really special. And seeing the video of him getting the call and then also hearing the guy say, you know, we've got another bit of news. And he said, you've been the first. And his family they didn't even let the guy finish what he was going to say because they knew what he was talking about. He was the first, you know, unanimously voted guy um, to get in, you know, to get in the Hall of Fame like that. It was, it was very special. Very well deserved, you know. Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer in the history of baseball. I mean, there, there's really no other way to put it. Um, I wish I've, I wish I could have gotten to see his entire career when I was really into baseball. But I know he was a part of those dominant Yankees teams um, near the start of the 2000s. But I mean, Raz, I think we just need to talk a little bit about this guy's statistics because he was a guy who was originally a starter kind of lost his way a little bit and figured out what a cut fastball was, and it turned out to be the best cutter in the history, I think, of the game. Um, But 13-time All-Star, five-time World Series champion, 1999 World Series MVP, finished the top five in the top five of the Cy Young Award voting on five separate occasions, 652 saves, third in career whip. Getting a little out of breath here with all these numbers. Registered 50 or more saves in a season twice and 40 or more saves in a season nine times. And, Roz, I think I think we could both agree here. The playoffs is really where he made his money. 42 playoff saves, the most in MLB history. It's postseason ERA, .7, the best in MLB history. 19-year career, there was really nobody at that position who did it better, um, and it couldn't have happened to a better guy. I'm completely with you on that. And that being my grandfather and my dad being big Yankees fans growing up in New York. Um, I'm happy for them. I know my parents are happy or my dad is happy at least that Mariano Rivera will be getting paid this respect. But you also have to remember his uh, his starter, Mike Mussina, who he backed up a couple of times, is going to be getting in there with them. So I think that'll be really cool. Maybe they'll let Mike Mussina start off the award ceremony and they'll bring in the closer himself, play a little Sandman. And Mariano Rivera will come in to give his electrifying speech. Yeah, and uh, I think Mike Mussina, another guy um, who I think his, I think his Hall of Fame call was a bit overdue. I mean, he finally, in a six-year of eligibility, he got seventy-six point seven percent of the vote. Um, you need to get seventy-five. Um, and you look at over the course of his career, eighteen years, got two hundred and seventy wins against just one hundred fifty-three losses, which is an unbelievable spread there. 368 ERA struck out 2,813 hitters, the 20th most in baseball history. Um, he was a five-time American League All-Star and also won seven Gold Gloves. Um, and you look at another another couple cool stats. I mean, this guy threw multiple one-hit no-walk shutouts with the Orioles, um, threw eight and a third perfect innings one time before allowing a single. So it, it was close to even adding more accolades. But we're going to talk more about Mike Messina and the other two inductees. Um, Roy Holiday and Edgar Martinez after the break. If you miss the show, you know where to find us. LibertyTalk.fm, AMFM247.com. And we'll be back after the break, everybody.
What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back at the Sporting Edge. We were, Roz, we were talking about Mike Mussina finally getting the call to the hall. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about his stats. He was 31 shy of 300. Um, an unbelievable career. You know, a lot of the success with the Orioles and the Yankees. And I think this is one of the most telling stats about Mike Mussina's career. Only one Hall of Fame eligible pitcher has a higher career war than Mike Mussina's 83. Um, that is Roger Clemens. So I didn't say in the Hall of Fame. I said Hall of Fame eligible. Mussina's war is actually higher than Nolan Ryan's, which is 81.8, and Tom Glavin, who are both in the Hall of Fame. Um, so there's, there's not much else he can say about the Moose than he was just he was an unbelievable pitcher. One of, the, one of the better careers in the history of the league, almost a 20-year career. Um, so very similar to Mariano Rivera. He just, the guy just did it. He was very successful. Um, he did it for a long time. He was a part of a lot of great teams with Mariano. Very happy for him. Great baseball guy. Absolutely. Um, and I grew up watching these guys live. I've been to more Yankee games than I can count down at Comiskey, U.S. Cellular, whatever you want to call that White Sox stadium they have down there. Um, so it was fun to see them, and I'll be excited to watch the uh, the Hall of Fame induction speeches. Um, it'll be interesting because it'll be also a day of some sad and emotional moments with Halliday also getting in. A guy who was 203 wins in his career with a 3.38 ERA. He played 12 seasons with the Blue Jays, which I barely remember. I kind of only remember the final stretch and then the final four with the Phillies where he won a World Series, if I'm not mistaken. He also has two Cy Youngs to his name. Um he was definitely well-deserving, was a great pitcher, part of one of those awesome staffs in Philadelphia down the stretch. Um, very sad the way he went, um, but uh, it'll be a nice honor for him and his family come uh, Hall of Fame weekend. Yeah, Roy Holiday was was a special um, was a special player and meant, you know, I, I know that he, he passed away in November of 2017, but he meant, he meant a lot to my baseball life. Um, you know, because as I was growing up, I didn't really have many favorite teams or favorite players obviously you know I'm a Cubs fan but Roy Holiday um, Miguel Cabrera those were two two of my favorite guys you know growing up as a baseball fan I like to watch and the thing for me about Roy Holiday was you know he never threw the hardest there wasn't anything that stood out you didn't have the 100 mile an hour fastball but that guy um, the work ethic the way his ball moved around the plate the way he was able to get inside you know, inside the minds of hitters. Um, and he was kind of, I think he pitched really before the, you know, we're going to take you out in the fifth inning and we've got, you know, four flamethrowers, six through nine coming at you. Um, he was a guy who could work a lineup up and down almost four times through. Really special, um, you know, with the Blue Jays, with the Phillies. And he talked about some stats, um, 203 wins and only 105 losses. I mean, that, there's something to be said about that, being almost 2-1, and one, winning 66% of, of those decisions. Um, top five in the Cy Young seven times. You know, he threw the perfect game in 2010 against the Marlins, and then that postseason no-hitter um, against the Reds. So, you know, I've got a little quote here from his wife regarding the Hall of Fame induction. I thought it was, I thought it was really great and really special. I wanted to read it. 
Um, you know, being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame is every boy's dream. To stand on that stage in Cooperstown and deliver your acceptance speech in front of baseball's most enthusiastic fans is something that every baseball player aspires to achieve, and Roy was no exception. But that was not Roy's goal. It was not his goal to have those three letters after his signature. His goal was to be successful every single day of his 16-year career. Tonight's announcement is the end result of that effort. If only Roy were here to personally express his gratitude for this honor, what an even more amazing day this would be. I'd like to extend a special thanks to the baseball writers for overwhelming percentage of votes that Roy received in his first year on the ballot. It means so much to me, Brayden and Ryan being his kids. Um, but yeah, Roz, I think one of the things you'll hear about Roy Holiday, besides you know the fact that his numbers speak for themselves, is how hard that guy worked. Um, and you heard Cole Hamels talk about it the night that he got inducted. That guy was a workhorse, not only on the mound, but spring training. You know, there's stories of him getting to the field that, you know, crack of dawn every day, working out for two hours before it starts. You, you, you really never hear heard a bad thing about the guy. And I think that's one of the things that made him so special. Um, the work ethic, the results on the field. And, you know, I, I think this is where his career was always going to end up. And it's sad, it's sad that he's not here, but I think this can be a great memory um, of what Roy Holiday accomplished during his career. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, it's going to be a great memory for his career. And it's also going to be a great memory for his family. And they'll, they'll have a great day remembering and appreciating the people who supported and voted Roy Holiday to this position. Finally, we have Edgar Martinez, who I'm going to be very honest with you about. I have not a whole lot of an idea of, of his playing. I didn't see a whole lot. They actually had a funny quote that I was reading that Griffey, Randy Johnson, Alex Rodriguez, all former teammates of the Mariner player, had left, and he had remained a, Saint, a Seattle Mariner. So props to him not leaving um, and, uh, and finding his way to the Hall of Fame as a Mariner. <laughs> Yeah, um, interesting story here. That That's the thing with the Hall of Fame voting. You kind of wonder what's going to happen to guys as their last year on the ballot because then the rules drastically change for how they can get in. And I'm not going to get into that because I don't even really know how they do it. Um, this was Edgar Martinez's last year on the ballot. So, you know, like the former three guys, I think we're going to read off his stats, so let you kind of decide for yourself. Um, but... A longtime Seattle Mariners third baseman and, you know, better known, I think, as a DH, was a seven-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger, and twice won the batting title. Finished his career as a 312 hitter, had 309 homers, 1,261 RBIs, and a 933 OPS, which is spectacular. Led the AL in on-base percentage three times in batting average and doubles twice. Um, led in runs and RBIs once. So those are some pretty robust numbers. Um from the longtime Seattle Mariner. And you, you got to figure that the last year on the ballot um, was one of the reasons that he got the bump. But I agree with you, Roz. I didn't see, I didn't really see him play at all, but I have seen some clips. I know he's a great guy, put up a lot of big numbers. Um, so I'm happy about it. You know, I, I think it's cool that a guy who is, I think, better known as a DH, um, at least from my perspective, that's what I heard about him, has gotten into the hall. Um, seems like this class is very deserving. Only four people thought there might be a couple more, um, but we'll see how it goes next year. But yeah, overall, pretty successful Hall of Fame class. Um, a lot of great guys. I'm excited to see the speeches. It's always very special. And yeah, then we kind of ride that into next year. We got uh, spring training coming right around the corner before this brutal month that's about to approach in February. Um, and then we will be rocking and rolling into March Madness. 
Absolutely. Let me. How much time do I got, Wits? I want to do a little fun exercise with you. We got about a minute and a half left. All right. I'm just going to rattle off names. You say yes, no. These are the people who didn't get in this year. Ready? Flotero Polanco. No. Roy Oswald. In terms of if you think they should be Hall of Famers. Oh, uh, no. Miguel Tejada. No. Lance Berkman. Yes. Michael Young. No. Sammy Sosa. No. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Andy Pettit, Gary Sheffield. Uh, no. No. Double no. Jesus. Is this all because now Barry Bonds, Manny Ramirez, and Roger Clemens? All three of those? I'm going to give three S's for those. Wow. Oh, not sure where Sammy falls off there. Yeah, I don't um, know. Maybe it was, the, it, was, Gary Sheffield. it was the cork bat. It left a bad taste in my mouth with Sammy. <laughs> and the well, fact that he went were on, on pace, You were on pace with most of the voters for Major League Baseball, so you might be getting your own vote here shortly. I got some powers of B. I'm completely kidding. But... With giving his opinion on Major League Baseball and who should be in the Hall of Fame. That was a quick little exercise. Yeah, um, and a quick note on Bonds and Clemens. They both moved up a couple of percentage points, um, a little bit under 60% for both of them. So with three years left, um, you know, are they going to get that boost down the stretch that we saw from Edgar Martinez? I don't know. Only time will tell. But as some of these new voters start coming into the mix in the Hall of Fame vote, um, will it be enough you know, for guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens to get in. Very hotly debated issue. Um, one that you'll find a lot of opinions on both sides. Uh, I know where I stand on it, and I know where Ken Rosenthal stands on it. Um, he thinks they should be in too. But we're going to talk about more of that as we get around to the Hall of Fame boat next year. Um, but we got Super Bowl next week, everybody. We're going to dedicate the entire show to breaking down the big game in Atlanta. We'll see you next week. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.